0: This is the Future of Fire and Security Engineers, brought to you by the IFSEC Insider Podcast. Hello, I'm James Moore, Managing Editor of IFSEC Insider. This is the third and final episode in our exclusive mini-series, focusing on the future of engineers in the fire and security sector. If you haven't already, make sure you have a listen to the first two episodes. They focus on the skills gap, potential solutions to fill it, and hear the thoughts of David Scott, Simon Banks, and Kevin Faulkner across the two episodes. In this episode, however, sit back and enjoy a presentation given at this year's FireX in May 2023. You'll hear from Andy Reeks, Director of Growth and Development at the Joint Industry Board and Electrotechnical Certification Scheme, Tom Brooks, Chair of the Fire and Security Association, and Trevor Jenks, the SSAIB's National Training Manager. The talk goes into more detail into some of the areas we've touched on in previous episodes, such as the FES standard and work that's taken place in the industry over the past few years. It really focuses on the developments over recent years in terms of individual competence and certification, and how the industry has come together to develop a framework for people, including new entrants and apprenticeships through to qualified, skilled, competent engineers, and what that means for career paths going forward. It also covers building safety and some of the recent legislation that's come out what the Electro-Technical Certification Scheme is, digital verifications, and where we're currently at with this all. Now, to clarify, this presentation was given in May, 2023. But for now, I'll pass you over to Andy.
1: My name's Andy Ricks. I'm Director of Growth and Development with the Electro-Technical Certification Scheme, which is ECS. And today I'm joined by Dr. Tom Brooks, who is Chair of the Fire and Security Association and Trevor Jenks, who is the SSAIB training manager. And what we're going to be discussing is some of the developments over recent years in terms of individual, so personal competence, uh, personal certification, and how the industry has come together to develop a framework for people from new entrants and apprentices and those first people coming into the sector to qualified, skilled, competent engineers, and what that means for good career progression development and through to managerial disciplines as well. So just as a quick agenda, uh, I'm gonna start off talking a little bit about building safety, Uh, have to talk about Building Safety Act and the Building Safety Regulator because the impact it will have on our sector, Um, but also a little bit of coverage on what is ECS. I think it's just useful to know how that works and ultimately how a FES systems technician is defined and then some of the digital solutions that are available for verification and a little bit on CSCS smart check at the end. And again, what's available, what's out there now, and why it's important. I've been talking about this for a few years now in terms of how are things changing, and we are, I think, starting to get to the point where we will actually see some tangible outcomes from the competent steering groups, everything that was set up by Dame Judith Hackett Following the disaster at Grenfell, and what that means for competence, both at a company level and down to the individual level. I think too often in the past, we've probably viewed competence of the company, third party certification bodies that exist to sign off that the company as an entity is competent. But what about the individuals working for that enterprise? And no longer, I think, can we just take an approach where that liability is shifted down the supply chain. Uh, Contractors, their subcontractors, we need to start evidencing what they're doing to make sure that these people that are working in high-risk environments in this case, but I'd say more generally, are qualified and competent to do the work they've been assigned to do. So this was one of the statements that came out from the Construction Leadership Council that talked about the implementation of Dame Hackett's review and the need for certification of those individuals. Basically, how does somebody evidence that they have been trained, qualified, assessed? Do they have the relevant skills, knowledge, experience, behaviors for that? So of the 13 working groups that were set up, uh, myself and indeed, Tom and Trevor, uh, are all on working group two for installers. And in this sense, I came up with five recommendations, Three reports there, and I'm trying to condense it down into about five bullet points. So there's a lot that goes behind this, but ultimately says that an organisation, an entity should be certified, should be competent. And then at the individual level, that they should have relevant qualifications. So for fire emergency security systems, we're talking about uh, vocational qualifications at level three, apprenticeships or equivalencies. FES standard has been about in England now since 2017 and that the individual should have continuing professional development, that they should be reassessed over time. Competency wanes over the years. Somebody who qualified 30 years ago may not have kept up to date with the latest standards. So how is that being assessed, and how is that being evidenced? That people should have the relevant fire safety knowledge in buildings. That one is coming quite fast down the track. And then also that there should be a universal way of verifying those people. And CSES has explicitly mentioned ECS being the relevant partner for the electrotechnical industry, including fire and emergency security systems. So then what is ECS? ECS is a personnel certification scheme. It's about identifying the competence of the individual. And a lot of people, I think, over the years have said, well, it's about qualifications or it's just about health and safety or it's just about ID. It's, it's a site entry system or it's a passport to work. And to be honest, it's, it's kind of all of those things. The idea of the scheme is that it's setting an industry-developed standard that recognizes qualifications and training, uh, that recognizes employer endorsement, so there should be a sign-off from employer to say that this person is competent as well, that there should be relevant ID and vetting processes in there, that the person should have the relevant health, safety, environmental awareness to be working in the environment they are, and that they should adhere to the relevant CPD requirements once set by industry as well as recognizing other things like professional codes of practice or professional memberships. So ECS is one of the industry leading smart technology solutions in this area. Uh, We cover about 175,000 individuals across the UK and that's about 60,000 applications every year, about four and a half thousand companies that use our portals to manage their own workforce and about 2,400 companies now that use our systems to manage their supply chain and who is competent at each level of that supply chain as well. The um, only reason that I like to emphasize this one is that JIB is the organization that owns and administers ECS, has its history in electrical, but it is far wider, that far broader. So we cover about 75 occupations these days. Uh, so that's everything from fire emergency security systems to audio visual to network infrastructure to digital and cyber security systems as well. And in terms of kind of the standards, so the requirements for each level of certification, for each card type, a lot of people think that that is something that we've created. Truth is, it comes from industry. All of those occupations that I talk about, all of those groupings are are ultimately various working groups that exist, including employers, including the trade associations, including training providers that come together to decide what the standard is. So here you will see at the bottom uh, a number of those kind of well-known bodies and organisations, many of whom are exhibiting here today, and probably about a dozen other employers of various sizes as well. Ultimately, they come up with the proposal. That is then signed off by uh, the ECS Steering Committee as aligning to the relevant industry standards. And then my job is to take that up to the Construction Leadership Council, to CSES and the relevant government departments. So what was BAYS now, Department for Business and Trade, the Department for Education, the Institute for Apprenticeships, and ultimately what is a standard? What does good career progression look like? And how does this help to raise the bar? So in terms of that framework, and this is something that industry developed initially back in about 2017. There should be a couple of different routes. Apprenticeship had just gone live, been very successful so far, and that's great to see. So people can come through that more regulated training path, ultimately into a full gold card. So, FES systems technician. So what that means is that the person has been verified for the skills, knowledge, experience, behaviors at a vocational level three. But most of this industry, has not had the opportunity to go through an apprenticeship, it didn't exist. There was a couple couple of hundreds that probably went through in the 90s um, down a security pathway, but that's about it. Most of this industry have come from people that have learned on the job or may have some relevant technical qualifications. They might've come out of electrical world into fire emergency security systems. Um, so what do you do about those people? And one of the, oh, I suppose one of the areas that that group highlighted was a lack of Knowledge around, I suppose the, the full scope of works. So again, back in twenty seventeen, the Fair Systems Operative Card was developed as a cost and time effective way to bring up the industry to the new knowledge requirements. But there was a gap. So it was then, how do you get that person up to the same standard as somebody who's gone through the apprenticeship? It's not about sending people back to college. These people are probably very competent in what they do. But how do you know? How do you evidence that? How can you show that to the HSC and the building safety regulator? Uh, How do you as an employer, say, perhaps stand up in court and justify that that person was competent to work on the system that they were? So we've been working as an industry and as that that, um, that wider industry stakeholder group to develop a route for Systems Technicians to move up to Gold Card and ultimately to look at that BQ, that level three competency level, in say one particular pathway might be install, might be maintenance, might be commissioning, and then what does a route look like as well to move up to full gold card? So that's for somebody that works across the piece. And that, I suppose, is where it would be quite timely to hand over to Trevor firstly um, to go through the options that are now available for exactly that reason.
2: Thank you, Andy. I'm going to explain one of the options that's coming in the trial at the moment, and that's being run experienced worker route being run by the BPEC organization as an endpoint assessment. What you will see between the the two or three models here, because Tom will be talking about a different model, they're all designed to meet different sorts of requirements with people coming in. So it's very much a sort of pick and choose. What we've got here is your person at the bottom right hand left hand corner, and they, have been doing the job for a long time. They've got experience. Their companies obviously think they're competent because they're employing them. If they're a base company, they're having third party people coming and checking them. So the real issue here is trying to prove competence and at the same time talk about upskilling because that's one of the issues we have. So the Cape for the base system, the first thing to do is to get that operative card because then you're in the system and you've got the basic card for it so on the BPET experience worker route through the Optive card is the mandatory first step for it, and that's typically going to take about for people to be in the industry about two years. It's a knowledge based test, you have to do some revision. When we did the pilots, the initial failure rate out of experienced, qualified guys and non qualified guys around about 80 percent. Get them to do a day or a morning's revision, put it back into their mind some of the stuff they've forgotten and the pass rate went back up to where we'd expected it to be. So this isn't a walk-in test. This is a do some revision, then do test. Once you've got that, you can begin to think about moving towards your experience route bit. So we're going to be asking you if you can do the job. And we were asking you over, say, five years, a minimum of five years experience. That can be backdated, it's not five years from today. But what I would say that if I'm a supervisor and I did this work five years ago and I haven't done it for four years, I really would like to see you doing it in the last three to four months again. You might not do it at commercial speed, but you should be able to actually put the things together still. You're going to have examples of your own work, and that's going to be signed off by somebody, or supported rather than signed off, supported by somebody in your company who's going to act as the assessor, the witness assessment. Now, over a period of time, because this is a chicken and egg type situation, that's going to move to somebody who already holds a full-blown technical card. Yep. So, beginning, somebody signing who says you're competent, in the longer time, somebody who's qualified signing, you're saying you're competent in-house. And you're going to bring it with it qualifications. You might be a qualified electrician. You might have EAL qualifications, Tavcom qualifications, FIA qualifications. There's a whole range of them out there all different levels doing different things. You're going to bring quite a pot to the company. When you've got that, effectively, you're then ready to do your endpoint assessment. So we BPEC test with a test right at the end of this, not all the way through. You're producing the bits as you're going through it. And that's going to involve several things. You're going to log on with a training provider. You get that information via the ECS site. You're going to log on with the training provider when he thinks you're going to pass the test. You've got the evidence, you've got the knowledge, you've got the experience. He will put you forward for the test. If they put you forward for the test and they have too many fails, they will lose that right to be a provider. So it's quite a sort of commercial not getting through people until you're ready. The test itself comprises of three main chunks. There's a the knowledge test. That's going to have electrical principles in it. It's going to have fire systems knowledge in it. It'll have standards knowledge in it. And it may well have things like updates on fire awareness or like that are coming in through the Construction Industry Council. We've got the knowledge test passed. And again, there will be exemptions for bits of this. Everybody's going to have a slightly different route. You're then going to have a safe isolation test. One of my bugbears for years, and Tom knows about it, is... Alarm guys fitting main spur points off distribution boards who've got no electrical background at all and not even doing the electrical standard minor work test. I don't fit pylons. I don't expect electricians to fit fire alarms. They'll do an installation test. They'll do a service and maintenance test and do a test and commissioning. If they're going for a full blown technical card, they're going to do all of those. They're just going through their install card They'll do an install test, but it'll be slightly more elaborate because you, can, you can't infer competence on one test. We've got all that done. They're going to sit you down and have a professional discussion. And What they're after is actually making sure the work you've given as evidence, what they're seeing, is in fact you. It's not somebody else's work. They're going to talk about behaviours, about customer skills, about how you deal with problems. What do you do if you're on site and something isn't a standard? What's the process? Do you just change it or do you have to go for a variation with all the rest of the stuff in the standard? Well, you've got all that together. You will then get one of the five cards. Now, the advantage of having a knowledge test that's common to all of this is if I'm an installer and I want to come back and get my test and commissioning certificate, I've already got the foundation bits. So I'd come back and do the the practical tests and then do the professional discussion bit that went with it. Okay, so that's effectively the BPEC style. That trial's starting in about a week's time, and it will be fed back to the steering group by hopefully end of July, and then it will come in general bits. What I'm going to do now is to hand over
3: to Tom, who hopefully is going to explain the other way of getting this. These are two routes. My name's Tom Brooks. I do, I've been training fire alarm engineers for a very long time, probably around 15 to 20 years. Um, Historically, I've always thought fire alarm engineers were electricians, and then they went in to do fire. And that's sort of in the 50s, 60s, how, how it sort of went. Towards the 90s, it, it sort of became more of a theory-based training, where people would do some sort of CPD, and then hopefully the companies would take them on board, and they, they'd take them under the wings and teach them the practical skills to do with fire alarms. And that's sort of how it went along, bumbling along. Well, Everything's changed now, and the Grenfell Fire really has highlighted the fact that we've got so many people sort of qualified, sort of competent, but not quite, not just in fire, but in, in a lot of industries. And this is where we've sort of took the ball by the horns in Working Group 2, and we've said, we, we, can, we can solve this, we've got some answers to this. And it just means we need industry to get on board with us to, to come along with this. So you've, you've heard what Trevor's got with the VPEC, um scheme, which it's pretty much testing as you go along. You go to centres and you'll be tested. Uh, EAL, which is an awarding body, they're going to do a full MVQ. It's at level three, where you will put, do a put, full portfolio. So it's a bit like the old MVQs. You, you're going to do a put, full portfolio of works, including electrical, including the fire design, um, all elements of it. And then eventually you will have one of those guys come to a site you're working on and we will assess your workmanship, we'll assess what you're doing, we'll assess how you do it. And that's the sort of the the endpoint assessment, if you like, of that MVQ. Now, to get any of the cards, the fire cards, you've got to now have some sort of qualification. Uh, EAL do um, their basic uh, qualifications, which are a a four or five day uh, training session, and that will get you the fire operative card along with the ECS health and safety test. So that's already there, so if you just need operatives on site, you can get that quite freely, quite easily. However, if you need guys to be more skilled at the gold card level, that's where you're going to have to do either the BPEC route, the full apprenticeship, or this MVQ. Now, this MVQ is already running a trial in Northern Ireland as part of their apprenticeship scheme. So it, it is being tested as we speak. But in England, this is just so you can gain, gain the gold card. It's not an apprenticeship scheme in England. It's just an MVQ that will give you a, a formal qualification, off qual approved, and then you will be able to uh, obtain the gold card, assuming you pass all the elements of it. Now, it's not a washing down of what anything else of the apprenticeship or anything like that, we are working 100% to the same standard. So somebody filling out this portfolio will have to prove they are at that level. So you, you can't just write a few words there. You, we've got to have evidence, both uh, knowledge-based evidence and also practical evidence. So it's, it's not an easy step, but it's, it's a doable step for people who are already in work, they can't take time away, and then they can have a local assessment wherever they're working. So that's sort of, in a nutshell, what the EAL MVQ is about. I believe they're also going to start running that as an apprenticeship in Wales. If anybody's from Wales here today, so that's another option you've got with that um, EL scheme. But in England, it's there. So you guys have been in the field, same as me. You've been in there twenty years. You've not got any formal qualifications, and you want to upskill, gain a formal, recognised MVQ it's at level three, and it will then enable you to move forward with your careers.
1: So. I suppose, in terms of the kind of the what you've seen, kind of the options that are being developed to assess people to that standard, I suppose what I, I kind of hinted at earlier is a bit of the why. That it's what the building safety regulator are going to expect for those buildings that fall in scope of the Building Safety Act. Uh, hospitals under construction, care homes under construction at the moment, but ultimately they've already said that their intention is to move from those high-risk buildings and the the high-rise residential buildings to then multiple dwellings, and ultimately, over time, buildings. So they have already set that out as their kind of route plan. The industry is already developing a sector-specific competence framework, which uses those five elements I talked about earlier of what is relevant for this sector. At the same time, you've got the likes of Built UK and Seeker and others that are starting to ask for this for these requirements for when people access construction sites, you've also got the likes of the Association of British Insurers who are starting to ask questions uh, about how they insure companies for this type of work. And I can tell you right now that I don't expect premiums to go down for people that can evidence a competent, qualified workforce, but I am expecting them to go up for those that can't. And again, that's been their suggestion as well in terms of that direction of travel. The other one in there is around the common assessment standard. So for procurement purposes, what is recognised as being necessary to evidence competency of the workforce? Again, there's some updates coming through there that have said no longer is it good enough just to say we're passing this buck down the chain. We want to see that this is evidenced at each stage of the supply chain as well. So before I come to some of the verification, the systems of digital technologies, uh, the other one to very quickly mention is about technical auditors. So again, through that industry group, we were asked to look at a FES technical auditor role. And ultimately it's a bit of uh, who's checking the checkers. So there is uh, under development and launched uh, in, in the last few days, a technical auditors card for those working for inspection bodies, for example, setting out the the requirements there in terms of both auditing and technical qualifications and CPD experience, et cetera, might not affect you directly. But again, one to be aware of for those that work in that space. The other one that I'm going to cover before we kind of open it up for, for some questions and hopefully a bit of discussion is around CSCS smart check. So I chair the development group and the implementation group for CSCS on smart technologies. And in April last year, we launched CSES Smart Check, which was a free-to-use app that any of us can access, download from the App Store, from Google Play Store, that can verify all 2.1 million CSES cards that are valid at any one point in the time across the UK. So that's 38 partner schemes that sit under CSES, an incredibly complex and convoluted process, as was for verifying cards across from plumbers to welders to industrial coating paint specialists to electricians and fire alarm uh, engineers, for example. So we developed a a system that fed into all of those databases. So in real time, we have now an app that can verify that that person in front of you is who they say they are, firstly, but also that they have the relevant qualifications, relevant certification to do that job And over time as well, to build in those aspects I already talked about, CPD, reassessment. How can that be evidenced by somebody coming onto sites of all sizes? And interestingly, I've started to see this kind of at two ends of the spectrum. One, uh, domestic owner-occupiers starting to ask it, which is great. Never really expected that. But the likes of the big house builders, the housing associations, they're saying, well, this system exists now to me there is no excuse not to be doing that verification process Uh, there is a system that works for particularly the smaller sites and then in the longer term it's what do we do about the major infrastructure projects the big sites as well the access control systems ultimately all of this is about that verification piece improving standards improving safety improving competence i've already mentioned uh, the requirements around the building safety act Um, The CSCS Alliance, as those schemes, is now working collaboratively to push that in all areas so that as the relevant card schemes, the relevant personnel certification schemes, we're not dictating what the standard should be, but it's how do you evidence that that standard has been met. Fire safety training is definitely the one that I'm expecting to come in, I'm going to say September it's been pushed back a few times, but again, updating uh, knowledge, awareness levels for those people that are working in high-risk, high-rise residential buildings. The other one that I've started to mention is there is a phase two to this project. So firstly, we launched with uh, an app, and it's great to see we've had best part 200,000 cards checked since April last year, uh, over 100,000 downloads uh, of the app as well. So good figures, great to see. But for the sites that are already out there, the access control sites, they run at about a quarter of a million cards checked per month. So in terms of the difference, it's huge. What I'm expecting over the next, I'm going to say two weeks, I keep promising dates that always slip ever so slightly, but this has been tested. Early adopters like BioSite are already using this in the background so that their access control systems tie into not just the 12 schemes they do at the moment, but all 38. So it means then that we have a system UK wide for all access control that can verify all of those schemes, again, across every occupation. Also means we can then start to do a lot more work in terms of labour market intelligence, in terms of targeting specific areas of the UK, how we can better educate, how we can inform, how we can raise improved standards as well.
0: Welcome back and thank you to Andy Reeks, Trevor Jenks and Tom Brooks there for speaking at this year's FireX. It's a huge topic in the fire and security sector at the moment, that of raising competency and there's a huge amount of work that's gone into developing the new Fez Apprenticeship and Experience Worker Standards from industry professionals in the last few years. Grenfell of course was the catalyst for this but I'm aware many in the sector have argued for higher competency for many years before this. The developments covered in this episode relate closely to closing the skills gap and what the future of the fire and security engineering sector will look like in the years to come too. What is clear I think from all three episodes of this mini-series, and I hope you've found this too, is that the commitment and enthusiasm from those already in the sector in seeing it grow, thrive and develop is there, and it has been for some time. And if this year's Engineers of Tomorrow competition at If Second Firex is anything to go by, there is some exceptional talent coming through for the future. Look, there's always more to discuss and if you want to get in touch and let us know your thoughts on any of the topics discussed in this IfSec Insider mini-series, please do let us know. There's some useful links in the episode description, so do take a look at these, including to our regular podcast series, Security in Focus. There's also a link to sign up to the IfSec Insider newsletters, bringing you the latest news straight to your inbox each week with a dedicated monthly installer roundup too. But that's all from this series. Thank you for joining us and bye for now.